0: Hello and welcome to the latest podcast from Stevenson Harwood's International Employment Team. I'm Paul Reeves, Partner and Head of Employment, and I'm joined today by Natalie Edwards, one of our Managing Associates in the team. Welcome, Natalie. Thank you, Paul. Today we're discussing the issue of sexual harassment in the workplace, what it is and why it is so important. Since the Me Too movement in 2017, there have been a significant focus on raising awareness of sexual harassment and encouraging those affected to speak out about their experiences. We see stories in the press on a regular basis about workplace harassment. Most recently, at the time of this recording, we've seen the serious allegations at the CBI, and you can see how these issues can rock any business to its core. The momentum of the Me Too movement, coupled with media scrutiny on harassment in the workplace, has led to an increased focus from employers asking the key question, what can they do to prevent and deal with sexual harassment in the workplace? So, let's begin by looking at what is sexual harassment. Sexual harassment is when a person engages in unwanted behaviour of a sexual nature with the purpose or effect of violating the victim's dignity or creating an environment that is humiliating or offensive to the victim. There's also another form of sexual harassment, which is when a victim is subjected to unwanted and unfavourable treatment as a result of rejecting or unwillingly submitting to the advances of the perpetrator. In practice, sexual harassment can take place in a number of ways – remotely, virtually, by means of a picture, photo, emoji, text message, instant message, spoken or written comments, jokes, physical gestures and touching – these are just to name a few.
1: Sexual harassment in the workplace usually has a material impact on the parties involved from the victim and perpetrator to the wider community around them, their colleagues and line managers. If steps are not taken to deal with the matter and make the victim, as well as surrounding colleagues, comfortable, this can have a detrimental impact on staff morale and may lead to a reduction in productivity, a damaging work culture and ultimately loss of talented staff. This could also lead to reputational damage if employers are not seen to be actively dealing with harassment claims and taking it seriously. Aside from reputational damage, there can also be direct financial consequences, as employers can be held vicariously liable for the actions of their employees, such as harassment. That's partly why it's crucial that employers take reasonable steps to prevent harassment in the workplace. Practical ways to do this can be with policies and regular training, which is refreshed when necessary. As well as the employer facing financial penalties as a result of a harassment claim, individual perpetrators can also be personally named in the employment claims as co-respondents and may have to pay compensation from their own pocket. There's
0: an interesting point you raise there, Natalie, about vicarious liability, as this is an area in which we can expect to see changes in the near future, as a legislative change is on the horizon. The proposed Worker Protection Amendment of Equality Act 2010 bill reintroduces the liability of employers for harassment of their workers by third parties for example, suppliers, contractors or customers. The employer will be deemed liable for such harassment where it fails to take reasonable steps to prevent the harassment, except where the relevant conduct meets certain conditions. Further, there is going to be a positive duty to prevent sexual harassment of employees, which will require demonstration by the employer of all reasonable steps being taken to prevent harassment taking place. Apologies if you picked up a uh, siren then on the recording. That wasn't for dramatic effect. That was um, just going past the window as we recorded this. A breach of that duty may result in the tribunal awarding an uplift of any compensation by up to 25%. We'll keep you posted as to when the proposed bill actually becomes law, but it does signal the direction of travel from the government and that your policies and practices will need to be updated in due course. It's not a bad thing to start reviewing your policies and procedures now and reinforcing the message of how the company treats such matters if you haven't done so already.
1: And with this being such a major issue, there have been many big cases hitting the headlines as invariably bad behaviour attracts press attention. These cases also provide useful insights into potential consequences for both employee and employer. Paul, could you talk us through a recent case that's hit the headlines?
0: Well, there's one recent example, which um, I think most of you will have seen in some form of media. It involved the case of a city lawyer who worked for a private practice law firm. The case hit both the legal and the mainstream press. In this case, it's reported that the lawyer was accused by three women of sexual misconduct. There was a particular focus on his behaviour towards a teenage employee that he himself had recruited. As reported by the Law Gazette, He was accused by the Solicitor's Regulation Authority of being in a position of seniority when he sent messages with inappropriate content and asked the complainant to engage in inappropriate activity. It is also alleged he touched this complainant in an inappropriate way, was unreasonable and or controlling to them and then asked them not to disclose his conduct. The SRA alleges this conduct was sexualised and or sexually motivated and amounted to an abuse of his position. In separate charges relating to a different complainant, the lawyer is alleged to have used inappropriate words and sent e-messages which were, and I quote, inappropriate in both volume and content. This conduct was also said to, to be sexually motivated and amounted to an abuse of his position. He was investigated by the SRA for sexual misconduct towards three different people. The allegations were subject to a hearing before the solicitor's disciplinary tribunal and we await to hear the decision.
1: So there are significant repercussions in the light of such allegations, particularly in the regulated sphere. Whilst this example is in the legal world, there are numerous examples of inappropriate behaviours by individuals regulated by the FCA, PRA or other sector-specific regulators. Those who are regulated individuals may be expected to uphold the integrity and reputation of their professions and can be held to higher standards employers in regulated industries should be on high alert to report relevant sexual misconduct allegations to the appropriate regulator to ensure that the employer is complying with their own regulatory obligations. Such reports can be made in parallel to any internal procedures or action that should be taken. It's worth noting how these matters are being investigated is under as much scrutiny as the actions of the perpetrator themselves. In this case, we saw that the harassment continued outside the workplace, texting the individual when outside of work and wanting to know their whereabouts, etc. This is a very common question from clients when considering sexual harassment. When does the workplace end and private life begin?
0: Unfortunately, Natalie, there's no simple answer to this, and this is a tricky line to establish as many social events are considered an extension of the workplace, particularly those organised by the employer. The general view of the courts and tribunals is that if someone is acting within the course of their employment, It is a workplace issue and the same behaviours in the office apply as they do outside the office. The course of employment essentially means where there is sufficient connection between the employee's wrongful conduct and their position. So this could be leaving drinks, away weekends, conferences, retreats, team building exercises, etc. There is case law that clarifies this point in a little more detail. One such case being that of... YH Training Limited and Sellers. This involved a woman wearing a sleeveless dress at a work Christmas party. She was approached by a male colleague who placed his hand on her arm, lingering for a time that made the employee feel uncomfortable. This was following a series of other actions in which the female employee felt the male colleague had a sexually motivated intention. The tribunal found that the male employee was acting in a sexual manner as his hand lingered for longer than it would have done with a male colleague. Whilst we would often see a perpetrator claiming that putting their hand on a colleague's arm and lingering was perhaps harmless, or they didn't mean anything by it, or it wasn't sexual, and it was at a party not the office, this case is a helpful reminder that even if the purpose of the action is not intended to be sexual harassment, if the effect of the action makes the individual feel humiliated or uncomfortable, and it's reasonable for them to feel this way, then they may well be liable for sexual harassment. It also doesn't matter if the individual didn't ask them to stop, or if it was outside the office but sufficiently connected to work. It's not about punishing the victim or blaming them. It's about the actions of the perpetrator, their purpose, or the effect on the victim. Effectively, you take your victim as you find them. Employers should ensure that they keep staff up to date with training on this issue, particularly when there are company social events leading to an increased risk that employees may act inappropriately with the belief that they are outside the workplace. By doing so, employers can try to ensure they protect their employees and create a positive environment free from any potential harassment.
1: That's when you get that email before the Christmas party telling everyone to behave.
0: As we know, in some work environments, there is a culture of banter and joking. What if an alleged victim participates in the banter but then says that they felt harassed by it at a later date? Would they have any grounds to stand on, Natalie, in a sexual harassment claim?
1: The answer is yes, they may well have grounds for a claim, depending on the circumstances. The fact that an employee has put up with certain conduct for years does not mean that it cannot be unwanted, which is one of the key elements in the legal definition of sexual harassment. Nor does the fact that the employee initiated banter mean that they are precluded from a sexual harassment claim. This was particularly prevalent in the case involving Munchkin's Restaurant Limited and another, In brief, Miss Kay, the claimant, and three other claimants, were waitresses for Munchkin's Restaurant Limited, run by a 73-year-old Mr Moss. The claimants were all migrant workers from Europe, and they alleged that throughout their employment they were made to wear short skirts and subjected to talk of a sexual nature by Mr Moss, including talk about sexually explicit photographs that were lying around the restaurant. The claimants alleged that Mr Moss regularly asked them questions about their sex life. The claimants sometimes asked Mr Moss questions about his love life, as they found this made him easier to handle. Importantly, from a management perspective, when the women attempted to complain about Mr Moss's behaviour, the manager replied nothing could be done. Ultimately, after a string of events, the claimants found their positions untenable and resigned, claiming sexual harassment and constructive dismissal, amongst other claims. An employment tribunal upheld the claims, which were on the whole upheld on subsequent appeal the Employment Appeal Tribunal rejected an argument that it was perverse for the tribunal to find that the conduct was unwelcome, given that the claimants themselves engaged in talk of a sexual nature and sometimes initiated it. It had been entitled to accept the evidence of the claimants that this was a tactic used to divert attention away from their own sex lives. So in this case, even though the women had participated in talk of a sexual nature, this was a coping strategy and did not preclude them from claiming sexual harassment. So remember, Even if an employee participates in banter or in some cases initiates it that is not a blanket bar to a claim for sexual harassment. As always a tribunal would look at the specific facts and circumstances.
0: Thanks Natalie. Now we're coming to the end of this podcast and just to wrap up I'd like to summarise some of our top tips for employers to take away. So number one, employers should reinforce expectations, particularly before work social events, to ensure the company's stance on inappropriate behaviour and sexual harassment is clear to everyone. Employees may feel more liberated at social events outside of the office and forget about company standards, so a gentle reminder of what will and will not be tolerated should help. The email that Natalie referred to earlier. Number two, employers should be taking practical steps to safeguard against inappropriate behaviour, Have you considered appointing sober champions, for example, who oversee the events, check if anything is getting out of hand, for example, behaviour fuelled by excess alcohol, and can provide support for anyone who needs it at the event? Number three, signpost procedures for employees who feel they may have been the victim of sexual harassment. Who can they speak to? How should they report an incident? This is a crucial factor in encouraging employees to speak up and embedding that within an organisation's culture. As Natalie touched on earlier, how the investigation is handled is as much in the spotlight as the perpetrator's behaviour. Number four, for those in regulated industries, remember to keep your regulatory obligations at the forefront of your mind. By reporting relevant incidents, employers can comply with their own obligations, protect their reputation and play a part in upholding the public confidence in those professions. And last but not least, training is one of the key takeaways in which to tackle sexual harassment within the workplace. Training not only reinforces the company values, but it also raises awareness among the workforce, making people more likely to report and call out inappropriate behaviour. Training, though, has to be meaningful if it is to have an effect and make changes within the workplace. And also, everyone must attend the training. There should be nobody excluded or exempted from it. Getting the message right from the top down will set the tone for the rest of the workforce. We regularly provide such training to our clients, so please do get in touch if you think your organisation would benefit from such training. We recommend training is refreshed every 18 to 24 months to ensure that employees are regularly reminded of the expectations in this regard. We're now five years since Me Too, and even given the passage of time and the publicity around that and subsequently, we're still seeing high profile cases hit the press for inappropriate behaviour in the workplace, whether that's the CBI, whether that's the uh, lawyer case that we mentioned earlier.
1: Thanks, Paul. And that brings us to the end of this episode. If you have any questions or wish to inquire about workplace behaviour training, please get in contact with Paul, or I, or your usual Stevenson-Harwood contact.